0: Good morning, good morning. You are incredibly welcome if you're a guest or a visitor. Uh, We hope that you feel at home and at ease, that you've had some coffee. At least somebody has said something remotely kind to you and uh, that you feel at home among us. I want to start, if we haven't met before, I'm Andy, part of the team here. Could you get me some water, please? not nah, germs <laughs> <laughs> it's my wife um, <laughs> 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 uh, don't tell her right Um yeah, so if we haven't met Amanda and part of the team here, I just want to start this morning by saying thank you to any of you who prayed for us last week. We went on a retreat with our staff for 48 hours last week. We invited you to pray that nobody would kill anybody. And um, thank you so much, darling. I love you a lot. <laughs> um. <laughs> you all right there. Um, and this isn't an exaggeration. Uh, our time on retreat um, exceeded our wildest expectations. Um, it was the most uh, profound, fun, um, incredible 48 hours. And uh, we laughed a lot, we cried a lot, and um, God really spoke to us powerfully. So I just want to say thank you so much to those of you who did actually pray for us. Um, do you know it's funny like church is weird where like people ask you to pray for things all the time and um sometimes you can think well yeah i'll, I'll do that and nothing really happen. honestly i cannot describe to you um well, let me just give you this example we had a fairly heavy lifting day on monday like we'd covered a lot of ground, it was pretty intense. Several people several times had to excuse themselves from the room, gather themselves to, to re-enter. It was, it was pretty intense. and we invited some dear friends down on Monday evening to lead us in worship and pray for us. And honestly, I was eating dinner going, "This is going to be terrible. We are exhausted. And uh, we, anyway, we started at eight o'clock, and uh, I, I think we kind of finished up sometime around midnight. Now, like if you'd said to me, Monday night on retreat, Andy, you're going to like pray for each other and worship for four hours, I'm a pastor. I probably would have said, I'm not really feeling that great. I think I need to go lie down. It was just, it was just incredible, and it was finished off uh, in, a, in a fun way. Have you got the photo, Josh? Um, so this is Blue Lock in the mornings, Tuesday, about half past 11. I was dying, and James felt like this is like where I always have belonged um it was it was it was really, really good. Um, here at Lagan Valley Vineyard, um, we work really quite hard to not take ourselves all that seriously. And uh, we poke fun at each other, we try to provoke a bit of laughter around our team and all that sort of stuff. but equally, um, we, we work really hard at taking the things that God says really seriously. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I can find myself getting those things confused. You know, I I take myself a bit too seriously, and the things that God says, not that much. And um, it's just such a a value for us to be really, um, I guess, light with ourselves and, um, yeah, prioritizing the things that God says. And so, um, we're going to do something a bit different over the next few weeks. Some of you will know that I spend a lot of time in different contexts Uh, in different countries with churches and church leaders and lots of different things that we get up to and all that sort of stuff. But one of the questions that usually comes up pretty early in the conversation is some form of this question, how big is your church? And depending on the leader and uh, sometimes actually their maturity, uh, I usually find the younger the leader and the less mature, the more awkward they can get about that question. Because Sometimes we feel like we're not supposed to ask that question because that shouldn't really matter, right? Um, but I quite enjoy sometimes, like, leaders that have been around a bit and they want to know and they're just like, hey, right, so tell me how big is it? And um, it's, a, it's a good question. It's not a bad question. I think sometimes we can be guilty of thinking this is a bad question. Any of you ever been around the kind of people who do the, like, I don't like big churches? Don't wave at me because you're kind of in one. Um <laughs> it can be a thing sometimes, right? Where it's like, I don't really, I don't really like the big thing, you know? And uh, if, if that's you, and you're kind of around us a little bit, might be helpful for you to listen to last week's talk. Um, you see, the church that we feel like God has actually spoken to us about becoming as big, feels kind of sinful to say that, right? It's like, can you, is that okay? Can you can you say that? Is he going to get like smoked from heaven live on stage? Um I'm serious, God's invited us to become a large, large church. Large in every single way, and this is what's important. Big in influence, big in size, big in resource, big in passion, big in community. It's what we feel like he's said to us from before we started. It's a little bit easier to believe that he might be saying that now. When there's eight people in our living room, that felt like slightly more of a challenge, you know? Um, But the truth is, big is not bad. And it's really important that you understand that. Big is not bad. Any of you remember when Jesus was explaining what the kingdom of God was like? And he said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And we have to be so careful with that illustration. Because particularly in Northern Ireland, we can go, yes! Mustard seeds are tiny. Like they're like almost, like if I held one up here, you wouldn't really be able to see it. And that can feel so comforting and gentle and all that kind of stuff for us, because we go, the kingdom of God's like a mustard seed. Yes, it's just me and my little old life with my little old church and my little old God. But you know, right? You understand that mustard seeds were not supposed to say seeds, right? Like the really provocative part of that. It's funny how culture works, right? So, so in America, um, forgive me, darling, but in America, the part of that illustration that Culturally, they need to pay attention to you is the seed, right? That actually small can be God, right? But Northern Ireland, we're the opposite. The part of the parable that we need to actually embrace is the point of the seed is that it becomes a massive, massive tree. Mustard seeds become trees or bushes somewhere between six to nine meters high and six to nine meters wide. I don't know what the word is for like three-dimensional square, someone can help me out afterwards, but literally like six to nine meters high and six to nine meters kind of wide, right? Like it's massive. It's impossible to miss absolutely and utterly huge. Like if you were walking through the park and there was a full grown mustard tree there, you would go, look at the size of that thing. That's what Jesus says the kingdom of God is like. It starts in this tiny thing that's really, really easy to miss, but it's supposed to become this enormous thing that's impossible to miss. That's our destiny as a people, as a family, that yeah, we are supposed to embrace small beginnings and look for God in the hidden places and corners of our life which would be easy to write off and ignore, but it's not supposed to stay there it's not supposed to stay there a mustard seed is designed to grow into an enormous thing and we know that God has called us to be large in every way large in every way and we touched on this a little bit last week how there's this like false dichotomy often that exists in the church that we can be big or we can be connected that if we want this to feel like community, well, then we've got to make it small. And if we want to go after influence, then we've got to make it big. But the reality is, size is immaterial in both of those things. Like, we could build the biggest thing ever and gather you all in here and have an amazing moment on a Sunday and have zero impact on our community and our culture. Equally, we could do the smallest, most intimate thing, scrap all the rows, make you all sit in circles, stare in each other's eyes and just be silent and watch. Feel really connected and have zero impact out there. Or we can commit to do family together and follow Jesus in the world. The thing that's really tricky for me as a church leader is the degree of connection and family that we get to have has got very little to do with me. I can't make it happen. It's got everything to do with your commitment to walk across the room and introduce yourself to somebody, show up at a tribe, build some friendship. All that sort of stuff, it's, it's all about you. Now we know that God has invited us to join him in growing into a large tree in every single way. But I have to be really honest with you, over the last few years, we've been guilty of really focusing on just a couple of metrics. We measure attendance, we count the money, uh, we count baptisms and uh, tribe attendance and a few other bits and pieces. But really the primary metrics that we've been looking at over the last six years have been Sunday attendance... And money that comes in and I know that last year our average attendance was 507 a Sunday right <laughs> I love when the door opens and people just begin to talk brilliant um, 507 was our Sunday attendance last year and I've been really wrestling with this question over the last few months 507 what 507 what now humans of course A few dogs have snuck in along the way this isn't a joke. Back in the early days, we used to include them in the stats. <laughs> we, did. we don't anymore, but yeah, if we'd include anything that was alive that happened to wander in. That got in the count. But I've been wondering, 507 what? Like 507 spectators. 507 consumers, 507 active participants, radical followers of Jesus, 507 what? You see, the reality is that that number, other than helping us know how many chairs we should put out and if we need to add a service, that number is kind of meaningless. Now, you're not meaningless. Don't hear that at all. But that number, it doesn't really help us understand how we're doing, where we're going, and what we need to prioritize as we kind of move forward we define the Christian life in this community as this it's going to appear behind me here surrendering our entire lives to the rule and reign of Jesus learning to demonstrate that rule and reign through our lives and in our communities for the flourishing of everyone that's the point that's what we're going after that is what this whole thing is about and I can't help but wonder how many of these kind of people are in this community How many of us look at that and go, I am in, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in my life. I trip over myself, I make a fool of myself, I get it wrong all the time, but God in his grace gently picks me up, ruffles my hair, pats me on the back, says, good job, let's try again. But that's what we're reaching for. Now, here's what we need to just pause for a second. If you're not there, right? Like if you're on this kind of, I'm just exploring faith I've kind of got something stirring in me and I'm trying to figure out if God is real. I'm, I'm trying to get an understanding of who Jesus actually is and what's he doing in the world and how can I get involved? Or maybe someone's just dragged you along this morning and you're not really sure what's going on. Here's what I want to say to you. In fact, why don't we you close your eyes for a second? Just close your eyes for a second. God's going to speak to you. If you're in that place of, like, I'm not sure whether I'm doing this well, I'm not even sure if I believe in this, this is what God would say to you this morning, right now in this moment, you are welcome. You're welcome. You are welcome. You're welcome. Open your eyes before you fall asleep. You see, this statement is not supposed to be exclusive. This isn't some sort of holy club that we're trying to build where the people that really get it and understand it and do it well get to get in. This statement is actually for the broken and the messed up, for the confused and the lonely. It's for all of us that we get to say yes in surrendering our entire lives to the rule and reign of Jesus and learn to demonstrate that rule and reign through our lives, in our communities, for the flourishing of everyone. See, we long for you to discover that Jesus is actually alive. That he's real. And that surrendering your whole life to him is the best thing you could ever do for you, for your family, for this community, region, province, island indeed, for the world. And I want to know, and we want to know, how many of us would say, yes, caveated with, we get it wrong loads, that's kind of a given, right? But that's what we are, that's what we're shooting for. We know that this is impossible to achieve without a deeply intimate friendship with God. And so we're going to measure how often we pray and engage the scriptures. We know that this produces a desire within us to see those around us experience the same thing. And so we're going to measure our evangelistic fervor and ability. How regularly do we share faith? How able do we feel in doing that, we're going to measure our generosity. We know when we live this way, we can't help but move from a posture of life that's like this to one that's like this. And so we're going to measure how much of our budget monthly we actually give away. We're going to measure, this is maybe a term that will be new to you, but we're going to measure vocational clarity. What I mean by that, how clear are you in the part whatever you do this time tomorrow plays in the unfolding story of God around us. Like wherever, just think for a second, what are you gonna be doing at 20 past 12 tomorrow, Monday? Do you know that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, that has a critical part to play in the unfolding story of God in our community in the region and in the world? Brilliant story of somebody in our 945 coming up and he grabbed me and said, Andy, I, uh, I answered 999 calls. And I've always wondered, what am I doing here? Just recently, I realized I get this amazing moment to connect with people in their like, deepest desperation. And he said, now, don't get me wrong. I don't get to have a, like, hold on there. I'm just going to pray for you. But he said, every single call, I pray. Every single call, I pray. Now, it might not be as easy to connect or as clear as that, but we want to measure in this community how clear are you in the part that your everyday life plays in the unfolding story of God, please don't ever think that if you're really serious about Jesus, you would do my job. And your job actually, well, it doesn't really matter. But there's work for us to do there. There's effort. It can be difficult. And some of us find that easier than others. We we want to measure that. And then finally, we want to measure how equipped and active we are in the supernatural, healing the prophetic, seeing signs and wonders of the kingdom. It's not just for a few of us. The Vineyard Movement has been marked by this idea that everyone gets to play and that we should rightly expect the supernatural activity of God in our midst. In our 945 service, we had a family drive the whole way from Monaghan because they're desperate for God to do a miracle in their life and they heard that we're miracle people. It's entirely appropriate and it should never be contained to a building or a moment on a Sunday. We want to measure these things. Now, before I go any further, I need to make sure that you understand something. This whole process is not for us to get some stats that we can pat ourselves on the back with or feel a bunch of shame over, right? We want to get some really accurate information about how we're actually doing and what we feel like God has asked us to do here. So that we can prioritize and pray and move forward in areas perhaps that we're weak in or push the accelerator on things that we feel like the Lord's really doing around us. As we begin, I want to ask you to do two things as we go on this journey together. I'm really serious about this. Two things that I'd love you to commit to do as we kind of go on this, this journey. The first one is this, that you would be honest. Everything we're going to measure will be anonymous, Right? So you don't serve anyone if you like tweak the truth, bend the reality, or flat out lie. It's not helping anyone. It won't help us. It won't help you. So please, would you commit to be really, really honest? The second is equally as important. Would you commit to be gentle with yourself? I fully expect over the next six weeks for us to bump into some things that make us a little bit uncomfortable. Where we're confronted with a reality of maybe where we are that's not quite where we would like to be. Please know that God loves you right now. Like if you need to put that on a post-it note in the mirror, if you need to stick it on the dashboard of your car, if you want to tattoo it on your forehead, knock yourself out, but we will think you're weird The reality is, no matter what your performance level or how much of this is alive in you, the truth is God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And that's not dependent on how much money you give away, how many people you share your faith with. It is not dependent on any of that stuff. He just loves you because you're His. Please be honest and please be gentle as we go on this journey. So, a few minutes to unpack what I want to talk about this morning. Um, we read Acts 8 earlier. This crazy story of this guy called Philip and his encounter with this Ethiopian eunuch where God speaks to him about going to this crazy place and he goes and then he meets this eunuch and he leads him to Jesus and then the guy gets baptized. Whenever I was in L.A., I was in a Starbucks and um, I was ordering coffee and... And this guy in a suit, which is unusual, actually, in L.A. to see people in suits. This guy in a suit comes walking in, and he orders a coffee, and he goes and sits down in the corner. He went into his bag, and out of his bag, he pulled out this, like, car- like cardboard box thing, but it was, like, covered in, like, details and all sorts of stuff. And, like, it was absolutely immaculate, and he opened it, and out of it came a Bible that looked like nobody had ever read it before. It's pristine leather Bible, and I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, I know what this is. Somebody has bought this man a Bible, and he snuck out of work, he's coming down to Starbucks, he's opening it for the first time, and he has no idea what's in there, desperate to connect with God. He just needs someone to go and ask him. And So, like totally like panicked, I went over and said, hey man, how's it going? He was like, hello, I said, "Uh, this is going to sound like a crazy, crazy question. Do you, do you understand what you're reading? And he went, Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's not what I was expecting. So I did what you do in awkward moments where you've just met someone for the first time. I said, Oh, what, what do you, what, what do you do? And he said, I'm in Bible college, going to be a pastor. I sat down and said, Can you explain to me what that says? story is uh, it's just I I just love this story that was like a fairly humbling moment for me it was kind of helpful but this story in Acts chapter 8 God speaks to this guy Philip about going to a road between Jerusalem and a place called Gaza it's literally the middle of the desert like it's a nowhere place one of the things I, I love about Philip Verse 27. God speaks to him, and it says, and he rose and went. You see, the the surrendered life has that kind of posture, an impulse to the voice of God. I wonder how many of us, like, if God spoke to us about going to a nowhere place, would go, you you, <laughs> there's nothing there. You you want me to you want me to go where? That Philip's impulse, it just says, and he rose and he went. You see, for some time, you may have heard that the whole point of this thing called Christianity and the gospel is to invite Jesus into your heart. That he can take up residence there alongside chocolate and your favorite football team, maybe your family, maybe even dairy girls whatever your current affections are, that we would invite Jesus into our heart and and he would come and he would live there with all the other things that we love. You see, that's not really the gospel at all. Jesus didn't live and die and rise, defeating death so that he could be a part of your life. Actually, this whole thing called the gospel is not really about inviting Jesus into your life at all. It's about you hearing him Invite you into his. It's about you learning to say Jesus is King, He's Lord. This is old Sunday school expression that He's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. He won't compete with chocolate, he won't compete with Liverpool compete with dairy girls. I'm sure he thinks it's really funny. He longs to rule in our lives. That's the story. And Philip gets this. He goes, he just gets up and goes. Hey, Philip, go to that nowhere place. Okay. And he goes. And it says that when he gets there, I love this. It says when he gets there, God speaks to him again. Like that frustrates the life out of me. Because if God speaks to me about going to like a random place, I want to say, what for? What do you want me to do there? Often there's silence. Let me don't move. We're like, well, when you tell me what's going to happen there, I'll go. Philip just gets up and goes. And it says that when he got there, God spoke to him again. Go and be beside that chariot. And I love this. It's like I have a 10-month-old Spaniel at the minute, she's a bit mad, but actually, like, she's becoming more obedient. She loves to like chase things, and I've got her now. Like, before I play with the ball, she'll sit and she'll stay, and I'll throw the ball, and she doesn't move until I say get out. And when I do that and say get out, she is like straight after the ball. It's like Philip arrives; he's in the nowhere place. He's like waiting. It says that God speaks to him, go and stand beside the chariot, and the text says that when God said that, he ran. He runs. God speaks to him again, and he runs beside the chariot. He doesn't go, that looks like an important chariot. What's going to happen to me over there? Those people might not like me if I get over there. Like, if it's me, I might kind of, you know, be cool. Like, I just happen to walk the same direction as the chariot and kind of like, you know, gentle convergence, you know. God speaks to him again, and he runs. He runs beside the the chariot, And as he's walking beside the charity, here's this man reading from the scriptures on his way home from Jerusalem. This guy is desperate to connect with God. He's just reached out, tried to connect. On his way home, not satisfied, wrestling with this mystery of God in the world, reading the scriptures, trying to understand. Philip hears and asks a question that's received much better than mine was in L.A., do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? How can I unless someone explains it to me? And Philip gets invited up into the chariot, starts in that text and works right through the Old Testament up into the new that hasn't been written yet and explains the gospel to this guy. It gives his life to Jesus and then he says, hey, there's some water. What's keeping me? What's holding me back from being baptized? And Philip says, absolutely nothing. Let's do it. And they get out of the chariot. He baptizes him in minor detail. Philip gets teleported away somewhere else. Any of you into metaphysics or interested in teleportation? Develop a radical obedience to the voice of God in your life. You see, it's in the context of obedience and sacrifice that things beyond our wildest dreams get open to us for our lives. We're waiting for God to move. And it's in the context of our response to Him that things get open to us that we would never dare to dream possible for our lives. The first thing we want to measure in this series is surrender. How surrendered are we to the voice of God in our lives? In this story, we see two characters, Philip and the eunuch, both of them with a profound willingness to surrender their lives to Jesus. Philip in his obedience to the voice of God and the eunuch in his instant response to be baptized upon receiving the good news about Jesus. See, baptism was always supposed to be a declaration of surrender. It amazes me how we get this so confused in the church. The waters of baptism are supposed to say that we willingly choose to die to our old selves. We go into the water and in the power of the Holy Spirit are raised a new creation with a new identity as that a child of God. Listen to me. Baptism is a declaration of new life, not mature life. I can't tell you the amount of people tell me that they've surrendered their lives to Jesus. And I'm like, brilliant, let's get you baptized. And they're like, oh, I'm not ready for that. Not mature enough. I've been at a few births of actual babies. Just imagine, right? This is going to get a bit weird for a second, sorry. Just imagine a newborn baby is born and they can walk. Like That would freak you right out, wouldn't it? Hooray, it's a boy, and there he goes. Somehow we have confused this idea that this moment that's supposed to symbolize new life actually symbolizes mature life. It's nonsense. Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches. 3,000 people respond and get baptized. They're babies. Their lives are still a complete mess. They've yet to figure so much out. And by the way, many of us who've been doing this for a while have still got a bit of mess. Baptism is a declaration of new life, not mature life. It's a declaration of surrender. Quick history lesson in baptism. Baptism was going on for way longer than Jesus and the church. You see it in uh, John when he's in the Jordan. And uh, you you notice if you read the, the Gospels, you'll hear all these mentions of pools throughout the city. Like it wasn't like Jerusalem was the ultimate pool party city, right? It was just like public pools everywhere where, you know, you get your cocktail and you dangle your feet in. That's not what's going on. Baptism is simply ceremonial washing. If you wanted to go and worship God, right, the odds were that you'd been up to all sorts of nonsense that week. You couldn't bring your mess into the presence of God. And so a building like this, temple where you're going to come worship God, outside there would be pools for you literally to go and be immersed in. Or massive big jugs with big things that you could scoop in and you would pour water over yourself. It was a ceremonial cleansing. I love this. If you remember the wedding at Cana, Jesus' first miracle, it's that water that he turns into wine. Ceremonial washing water. so water that's supposed to make you holy. He turns into wine. That's a by the by. It's just the, the rascality in Jesus is so funny, I think. This idea of ceremonial washing, this is what's going on. Where you can't bring your mess into the presence of God and so you wash. And then you can come in. And the next week you're going to get into all sorts of nonsense again. You come back to worship and wash again. And this is where the gospel flips that completely. Or your baptism is a once and for all reality of your holiness and purity before God. Not because you've figured it out, but because of how great and good Jesus is. We're baptized into his death and raised into his life. That we never ever again get to look at ourselves and think dirty, rotten sinner. It's a perversion of the gospel. That in our surrendering to Jesus, we get raised to this new life where we never need to be cleansed again. It feels so wrong, doesn't it? Wait a second. You don't know what I was at last night. You don't know the things that happened to me last week. You don't know how messed up my life is. This is why Paul, if you read Paul in the New Testament, he talks often about living up to your baptism. Or living a life worthy of the call that you've received, that that moment was a declaration of transformation and new identity. Stop going back to empty wells. Stop living into that old life, embrace the new identity and walk in it. It's why Paul writes, it's mad. when he writes to churches, he writes to the saints in that place. Like if he was alive and he was writing to you, he'd start the letter to the saints in Lagan Valley Vineyard. And we want to go, you're mad. Have you seen our lives? And he goes, have you seen Jesus? Because that's who God sees when he looks at you. When you surrender your life to Jesus, that's the lens that comes on all your stuff. And it sets us free and enables us to inhabit that identity that we sing of, that we are His kids. Loved and accepted, learning to walk free from all of the mess that so easily entangles us. I wonder how surrendered is your life? I wonder... I say this so gently because I am so guilty of this. How often have we allowed Jesus to just be part when he wants to reign? Because it's the best thing for us. It's the best thing for our families. It's the best thing for our community. It's the best thing for the world around us that we would learn to let him reign and that with him, we would get to demonstrate his reign all around us, that when a family land here going, we heard you're the miracle people, not because we've got some sort of strength or stuff in and of ourselves, but we get to go, yeah, we are, because Jesus is here. So how surrendered is your life? I want to take a moment to pray for us, and we're uh, going to respond. If you're comfortable, just close your eyes for a second. Holy Spirit, would you come now? and uh, if you want to I'd invite you to join in for yourself but feel no pressure Lord this morning in this moment I confess and I repent for trying to make you sit alongside other things in my life I repent of thinking that This whole thing was about inviting you into my life. And Lord, this morning I hear your invitation. Once again. To step into your life. I confess that you are Lord of everything in my life. And I invite you to come and rule and reign. In me and through me. Son, King Jesus.